welcome to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. On this show, we feature different programs, individuals, and initiatives focused on being more inclusive of individual needs. We invite you to learn right alongside us. If you want some additional resources or access to our courses, please visit our website or follow us on social media. But for right now, let's get right to the episode. Coming up next on the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. So even if you're in one class and maybe 15 students in the class are working at the regular class level, if it's a grade 10 student, there might be a few that read at a grade seven or grade eight level, and they don't want to be identified within that class. And the teacher doesn't want to say, okay, for you, I'm going to do this. But the teacher is able to, not in a sneaky way, but can do in a non-obvious way to multicast for these students over here as something that is at maybe a grade seven level. And the other students are working at grade 10 level, and nobody knows because they're all into their own world. How can we use virtual reality to support students with disabilities? If you've checked out episodes from this past season, then you know that I love a good technology-focused inclusion episode. And in this episode, I talked to Dave Zolan from Viative. Viative is bringing content to students through their virtual reality technology. Think about how amazing it would be to have students get concrete, immersive STEM subject experiences, or how great it would be to have students practicing speaking a new language in a simulated environment. That's the beauty of Viative. Not only do they provide this VR content, but they also make it easy for teachers to personalize and differentiate to support all students' needs. So let's check it out. Hello, and welcome back to the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. We're here today with Dave Dolan, the Chief Product Officer at Viative. So Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Katie. Can you tell us a little bit about the Viative platform itself? So with Viative, we started in 2016. And being teachers ourselves, we came into VR really from the content side of things rather than from the kind of device gadgetry kind of part of that. It was really important that it have real educational value behind it and that it's easy enough for teachers to use, administrators to bring into a school and of course, the kids are no problem. They they love this kind of stuff. I know that with VR, there's you know, obviously certain types of hardware that's required. What does the Viative platform use in terms of like the logistics of the hardware? Well, when we came out, we really thought that being device agnostic would be the way to go. It wouldn't be up to us on what you want to use. And you have to make it as widely available as possible. But the problem is that we ran into problems with different kinds of hardware because they really were made for gaming and entertainment, but it's a different story when you get into education. We've been kind of through the gamut of all kinds of devices. And in 2019, we decided to go out and make our own because you had to take care of privacy issues, security issues for schools, make sure that you can get all of the content on there so it could be used completely offline and make it as simple as possible for schools. So that's where we've gone to now. And that's the best solution we've been able to find. And are there any adaptations that can happen with the hardware to support learners who might have different physical needs, or is it pretty inclusive of everyone already? Well, again, because we come from the education side of things, we made sure that everything that was in there was voiced. So if somebody does have vision issues, everything is textual as well. And if you're hearing impaired, you'd be able to follow along. We do have one controller, which makes it easier for somebody who 
maybe does have some physical issues. So there were a lot of things like that that we tried to address right from the very beginning. And one of the benefits, I think, of having one controller means that right now we're trying to get like a joystick controller that can work on a wheelchair so that you'd be able to use that to be able to navigate within the environment. It's things like that that you have to really be mindful of. And that's where we try to be more inclusive. In terms of the content itself, what types of content are available for learners? Because we're trying to teach everybody in the world, we figured, well, what is it that everybody has to study? And that's STEM. So biology, physics, chemistry, math, we all had to go through it. So, you know, Newton's laws and relative motion and kinetic and potential energy. And there are all kinds of things like that. Maybe not you, but I had problems getting my head around. Those kind of conceptually difficult concepts or topics were the ones that we addressed first. Because if you're going to get into this kind of learning, it's best to utilize it for the thing that's the most difficult to do, right? So if you cannot get your head around, let's say, photosynthesis, I mean, the sun coming to the plant and somehow it's making energy, you might as well be able to get into a plant and really experience what it is to be within that process of photosynthesis. Those are the kinds of things that we came up with first. And then we got into language learning. So English is a second language. And there's a lot of things you can study by yourself online. You can study vocabulary and grammar, things like that. But the thing that you can't do on your own is speaking. And so if you could do speaking practice, even offline, where you can go as a learner into an airport and you have to navigate around to say, I'd like to check in, where's security? And if you can do that 10 or 20 times, there's no limit to that. You have the confidence to go and start moving around, whether it's a bus station or checking into a hotel or even a doctor's office. All of those things can be kind of troubling for somebody who's trying to deal in a second language. And so that voice recognition really is a big benefit. And within the VR, you feel a sense of presence and you're really enveloped in that spot. So you really feel like you're in a restaurant ordering a steak, right? And that's the kind of environment that every teacher tries to mimic and tries to present to his students. And that's something that we can do very easily in, in the VR. Oh, that's really awesome. The language part of it. I mean, the STEM part of it is great too, because I mean, there's so many concepts in STEM that need to be a little bit more concrete to make them more understood. So it's great that they can kind of have that visual to support them. With learning that language, you're really going to rely on having either a language buddy or you're going to have the teacher. And there's a limited amount of time that you can have with those people, right? In many places, it doesn't exist. I'm coming to you from Japan. Uh, I've been a teacher for about 30 years in Japan. And so maximizing that kind of experiential part of learning is a really cool thing with VR. So you talked a little bit about how the content that you've created in both aspects has engaged students. And you talked a little about how the platform can support students' different learning needs. Is there anything specific you've noticed with how students with maybe learning differences or classified with a disability have interacted and engaged with the content and the lessons? There's a few ways. Let's say one, for example, would be students dealing with ADHD. And when you can limit the stimuli in the environment, when you can limit the distractors, because you allow somebody to just absolutely focus on what they're learning. 
and they don't care about their peers, which they shouldn't, right? There's no pressure from peers if they're not keeping up with the class. It's distraction-free. They don't care about their phones. They don't care about anything else. They absolutely want to be locked into that learning. And I mean, that's a beautiful thing for teachers because in today's world, I think it was somebody from Stanford had said that the indistractability is the key skill for the 21st century. And so this absolutely allows you to lock into that. And there were studies back, I think Alfred Rizzo from the University of Southern California did a study on VR and identified eight factors that are advantageous in the VR. And with the Vieta system, we tick off about six of those eight items, whether it is acting with a character inside, if it's, again, about being able to control the stimuli and things like that. And the positive feedback also, because we do have assessment right inside and it does say, hey, good job, that kind of thing. So that can be very meaningful. I had a great experience in England that there was a person that was in a chair and came along, wanted to give it a try. And it got a little bit misty right there because when that person says, oh my God, I can walk. I can walk, and they're walking around this environment and they feel like they're moving around. And it's very heartening when you have those kinds of experiences. So those are some of the things that have been done and that I've experienced through others, which is great. And just some of the ways that it's also being used is that you can even, as a teacher, maybe multicast out to your students in different groups. So even if you're in one class and maybe 15 students in the class are working at the regular class level, if it's a grade 10 student, there might be a few that read at a grade seven or grade eight level, and they don't want to be identified within that class. And the teacher doesn't want to say, okay, for you, I'm going to do this. But the teacher is able to, not in a sneaky way, but can do in a non-obvious way to multicast for these students over here as something that is at maybe a grade seven level. And the other students are working at grade 10 level and nobody knows because they're all into their own world. It allows things like that where some teachers are being very creative in how it can be used. I was going to ask about like the differentiation, personalized learning component of it. I co-taught for a long time. So I had my students who had an IEP and I had students who didn't have an IEP and they obviously did not want to feel any different than anybody else, but they needed a little bit of a different approach to the material. So that's perfect that they could just go in and push out to specific students. Each student would have their own headset and use it in that way. And that would be in that class setting, which isn't even the most popular way of using this. We really are big believers in differentiated learning. You'd be able to go in, you are a a grade nine physics student, you'd go in and it would be curriculum aligned to what you're studying and you're straight into what's meaningful to you. Now, when you log out of there, even when you're offline, I pick up the headset and Dave is in grade 12 and I'm a chemistry and biology student. I go straight into those modules. So there really is that differentiated learning. And the way that the instructor is involved is that the assessment scores from whatever we do inside is scored back to the teacher so that they know where Katie is being successful, Dave is failing a bit, and they know, you know, listen, Dave, I need to explain a little something to you, okay? And so it really empowers the teacher in that way. So you can imagine that with students with special needs, there's a variety of needs, and it's great for identifying where somebody 
feels confident and is performing, and you'd be able to see where others are not. That's very valuable for teachers. That's a lot of data that they can then use to inform their instruction, their reteaching, even just tracking goals and progress or identifying new areas where you want to create a new IEP goal for their next draft or something. So the assessment, they are built in within the lessons, correct? Are they traditionally like, do they have like multiple choice things they go through? Are they actually simulating and doing something? How does that data look? You want to make it as contextual as you can. So if you're going to learn, let's say, relative motion, what's the best way? You're going to get onto a train. You're going to be having a train next to you moving at the same speed. It's going to look like it's not moving at all. And then you take a look from outside and see that you're actually both moving very quickly. And then you want to assess on what's been taught within that environment, exactly where it is. And okay, that train's moving at that speed. This train's moving at this speed. Everybody's head's right around that. It makes it very immediate. It makes it that you're not separating the learning and then, okay, go off to a website. And as soon as you separate the student from the learning, that there's a drop when you're stored memory. And then you're asking about what kind of assessment there is. If you're doing the heart, you want to be able to dissect the heart and reassemble the heart. There's drag and drop. If you're talking about, let's say, forces, change the values so that you can see what happens um, with the forces. So everything like that, you want to make it as as interactive as possible, because that's where you have that experiential learning. That's where it really sticks into your mind, because you've been propelling something to happen, and you've been working with it. So we have answering questions, drag and drop, adding in, again, values, and a number of different kinds of interactivity. Just again, make it as meaningful as possible. I like that it's authentic in the context then too. I remember firsthand how difficult it is to separate one learning experience and taking a whole different assessment and another component and there, there is that drop. Yeah. You just can't get your head around that because there's that separation. Right? Yeah, so that's great that it's all in one and they can kind of just transfer the skills and then the teacher can use that data in a meaningful way. And again, when you're dealing with teachers, which we have been for many years, we know the value of that. So it makes a difference because... If tech people are put to it, they just say, well, okay, this thing's flying across and identify what that is. That's not quite enough for teachers. Yeah, it has to be a little bit different of data. You would talk a little bit about specific examples about how it's been used by different teachers. Is there an example that really stands out to you that you think this really shows how powerful this technology could be for a student who may have a disability in a class? We have some teachers in Canada right now that work in this field. And they've been looking at ways that they could create their own modules as well. So we've created the world's largest library of these STEM and ELL modules. But the next step for us is empowering people to be able to make their own. And so we're just coming out with this tool right now. And so the special needs teachers in Canada are working on ways that will reduce the stress and anxiety in the new school year for students. Right now, those teachers are going around and filming within the school so that, okay, here's your locker, here's where your classroom is. And those students can now go and go to the locker. Okay, this is where I'm going to be. Your class, I have to walk down this way. I go down three doors on the left side. That's where my class is. And it really is expected to reduce that anxiety quite a bit. 
because you can already experience that. You can walk somebody through, you can say, walk to the cafeteria, this is what you do. And again, creating those experiences for everybody in a very, very safe environment where you don't have to feel like I'm being walked down the hall by somebody. It makes a difference to people. So those are some things that are being done right now. And one that that I'd like to add, which is not exactly for special needs, but for students coming from abroad, for new students, immigrants, it is being used in some ways that even in Canada, that we have it in English, but we also have it in Arabic. So if you have students from Syria, a teacher really doesn't know if that student is not performing because it's a language issue, do they not understand the concept? What a teacher can do is say, okay, study about paramecium. It's in Arabic. So they can go in, they can do it. The teacher sees the results and, oh my God, you know, they got 100%. So I know that conceptually you're fine. Okay, now I want you to go ahead and do it in English. So it, it's a great way to help kind of scaffold that. They can do it in their native language in the first instance. And then now I can worry about just working on the language with you. But as a teacher, identifying where that issue is, is really, really important. That's something that I think happens all the time. Like, especially the teacher's not familiar with the language, that they assume that it's a lack of understanding of a concept, not that it's a lack of understanding of the language that's being presented. And so that's great that they have the opportunity to really see like, oh no, they totally understand that. It's now we're working on transferring the language component over. And I love the VR for introducing new locations, like the school. That was always something that was so big at the beginning of the year that was so anxiety inducing for my students, getting around the middle school and where's the bathroom. And I, I have all these kids who are older than me. How do I open my locker? Like what's my combination? Like, that's just great to be able to give them that independence then too. Like, like you said, I don't have to go with them, which they may not enjoy as a sixth grader, but they can do it themselves. It's about removing that anxiety. And it's just a very simple way of doing it too. How do you think Viative is making schools and classrooms just more inclusive and accepting for all learners and all learner needs? Right now on that front, like I said, we're looking at a way of adding the controller to a chair and identifying that, you know, there are other devices out there that kind of look maybe fancier or very cool. But the problem is that they might have two controllers and they won't be suitable for every student. So sometimes you have to step back a bit and get to the core of what it is that you're trying to do. I've had so many teachers ask me, they say, I want to bring VR into the school. And I say, no. Okay, what do you want to do? And they say, well, I want to have VR. And they said, no, come on, tell me what you want. I want to give my students experiences. And it's like pulling teeth. And, you know, say, well, I want to increase learning outcomes. Good. Okay. Now we're talking about the same thing. Okay. That's where we have to start. And that's what your expectation should be. And we're trying to make sure that we're channeling people's expectations away from the device. Because I heard somebody say this once that the VR should be invisible. And I think it should be because it's just like a TV. You know, I mean, you don't care what kind of TV it is. You just, I want to watch Netflix, right? It really is about the content. And that's where everything has to start. And I'd like to think that we're working hard on on making it accessible for all students everywhere. Because it could be simple things as somebody might feel anxious about being in a VR. 
they might not want something on their face. So having it also that you can play it on a PC in a 2D environment, but it looks 3D and have that streaming is another way of adding that accessibility. Make sure that nobody feels separated from the learning, that even if they just will use a PC and watch that and still do the module, do the assessment, that still goes back to the teacher. I don't need to put this on because I feel claustrophobic, right? So again, it's, I guess, thinking about all of those, and I think just having a lot of experience in the classroom for many of us in the company, it becomes a kind of second nature that those are the things that need to be taken care of. Those are issues that need to be respected, and you should take care of the learning and those issues first, and then work them into the VR rather than the other way around. I think that's good advice in general. I'm big in technology and people always jump to, I want to use this. And it's like, but for what? <laughs> just That's just their goal. I'm like, you can't have the goal of just bringing in this tool. Like, what are you going to use it for? So that, that, that really spoke to me when you said that. I was like, yep, that's exactly what I'm trying to infuse into people. What is the end goal for the students? And I just appreciate the fact that your company has made so many attempts to accommodate so many different learner needs and making sure that it's still a valuable experience regardless of what their needs are and adapting to their needs. Thank you. So I want to thank you, Dave, so much for joining us today and telling us all about Vative and how it's being used and giving us so many great examples of how that virtual reality is really benefiting all learners. Thank you so much for joining us today. Very much my pleasure. Thank you, Katie. This episode with Dave was recorded over the summer, and since then, Vative has made some new feature releases. I saw the other day that Vative Labs has introduced VR Create, a virtual reality creation and editing tool that can be used by teachers and students. So now, not only can you access Vative's extensive content library, but you can also add your own 360-degree images and videos, embed questions in media, and add assessments. This is perfect for teachers working to be more inclusive because you can start to make concrete, accessible VR content content that can benefit your students, whether they're learning a new topic or skill or adjusting to a new environment or situation. The ability for students to create lessons is also pretty incredible. I'd love to see students teaching each other using this new feature. Check out the link to Vative in the show notes for more information. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Assembling Inclusion podcast. I hope the information in this episode taught you something new, gave you a new idea, or showcased a new perspective. If you liked the episode, feel free to leave us a review or comment. If you have a recommendation for an individual or an organization who would make a great guest, you can message us on Twitter or Instagram, or send us an email at assemblinginclusion at gmail.com. See you next time.